Before the lesson, I'll be reading from 1 Peter 2, 5 through 10. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon, uh, upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in sign a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you, therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which is which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not Obtain mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Well, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, Brother Jeff mentioned it. We're going to have some uh, newsletters on the back. Well, I'll make sure they're they're back there before we exit this auditorium. I went down to pick them up, and of course, after the first copy, and there were three different newsletters that the machine ran out of paper. And so the whole time I was gone, it didn't do anything but sit there. So I'll go down. Hopefully it won't run out of a whole ream of paper between now and then. But I'll make sure that uh, that it's there. And, and uh, be sure and grab those uh, newsletters. talks about uh, the Indonesia work, the hungry work, and the international gospel hour we support. This morning my sermon is going to be just a little bit different. Uh, normally I preach an expository sermon in which we primarily stay in a particular text, and we try to tear it down, break it apart, learn what we can learn from it. This morning I'm going to preach more of a topical sermon, more of a topical sermon. Now the title of the sermon this morning is Putting First Things First. Putting First Things First. And I really believe that's kind of what Peter was talking about. Peter spoke in our passage this morning about what Christians are, describing them, didn't he? He said, we're a royal priesthood. He called us a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a holy nation. Now it goes without saying to those who had received that letter because he's writing to Christians what it meant to become that way. Now to those who may have read that letter or had that letter read to them who were not Christians, they wouldn't have known just simply from that statement how that uh, the recipients of that letter became a royal priesthood a chosen generation, that peculiar people, peculiar from those who are in the world, and a holy nation. But then they would have been taught those things. So when writing to Christians, Peter would have understood that those receiving that letter would know in order to be a holy nation, you have to put first things first. And so I think that's really what he's talking about. You know, it doesn't really matter what the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit has done for us 
to allow us to become that holy nation, that peculiar people, that royal priesthood, that chosen generation, if we do not accept what they have offered, it makes no difference whatsoever. Just because God wants us to be saved doesn't mean we will be saved. We have to put first things first. But sometimes life interferes with us. We don't handle it properly. We allow ourselves to become overwhelmed, and that's that's often the case. That doesn't mean that the faithful become unfaithful because they have become overwhelmed, but it makes it a little more difficult. But sometimes being overwhelmed does kind of throw us off target, and we lose our perspective on first things first. In February 1989, Lynn F. McGee wrote in the Reader's Digest, you'll find it on page 198, She said this, It all began with the dental hygienist who was scraping tartar off my teeth. Asked, Do you spend about four minutes each time you brush your teeth? She said, With a gurgling tube hanging from my lip, I responded a little less than that. Well, you really should, she said, or you will lose all your teeth. I vowed to myself that I would floss, pick, brush, and rinse as instructed. At my at my annual physical examination, the doctor asked, how often do you exercise? Do you limit your salt intake? Does your diet contain too much cholesterol? That was almost like a Vietnam flashback for me as I was reading that. Uh, I thus began an intensive fitness program, which I checked off on the daily personal maintenance schedule on the refrigerator door. I then made an appointment for a beauty makeover. When is the last time you had a facial? The cosmetologist asked. Never didn't seem like the right answer, so I hedged with, well, it's been a while. Well, you should have a facial more often, she said. You've already got some wrinkles around your eyes, she warned. Mentally, I added, get a facial to my personal maintenance schedule. I soon learned personal maintenance was not all that I had to worry about. At the appliance repair shop, the clerk examining my coffee pot asked, Do you run white vinegar in it each month? This began my home maintenance schedule, which took its place next to my personal maintenance schedule on the refrigerator. Several other other appliances, too, began demanding my attention. Now, remember, this is 1989. When I discovered that the tape deck in my car, I don't even know if those even exist anymore, The VCR and the disk drives in my computer also required cleaning. I wondered, how long could I keep this rigorous program up? I was sleeping four hours a night, had lost touch with my husband and children, and had no social life, not to mention no room left on the refrigerator door. It all came crashing down one night when I was reading an article entitled, Are You Endangering the Lives of Your Loved Ones by Failing to Dust Your Smoke Alarms Regularly? She said, I ran to the refrigerator and tore the schedule to shreds in their place. I have established a policy in which I respond to all questions about my behavior by taking the Fifth Amendment. I'd say amen to that. I think that's a pretty good example of losing sight, don't you? Let's take care of our health. Absolutely, listen, rather than let's take care of our health, I need to do a little better job, but do we need to do that in, in exclusion of taking care of our families? Do we need to maintain our homes? Absolutely, we better maintain our homes or they will fall down around us. But do we need to do that in exclusion to our families 
where we're constantly working all the time to maintain this physical presence that we have in this world and we exclude our families, our husbands, our wives, our children, and more importantly, the spiritual things in life? Of course we don't need to do that. Of course we don't. Now, I think that maybe the question is, how do I regain my focus and put first things first if I have lost track? Now listen, we all lose track from time to time. We all, and and I'm not saying we become unfaithful. What I'm saying is we allow ourselves to become overwhelmed. Sometimes we can become unfaithful and we have to remedy that. But I believe God has asked us to understand things about yesterday and today so that we can maintain our focus tomorrow and continue on through uh, time. Now, to accomplish our goals for that better tomorrow, and I think we're looking at the eternal tomorrow, we need to put first things first. Now, to do that, we need to learn some things about ourselves. That's our first point. We need to learn some things. The first thing that God wants us to learn, I believe, is we must have dedication. We must have dedication. How are we going to put first things first if we're not dedicated to the first things, right? Then we're going to easily be thrown off track. Have you ever seen anyone or spoke to someone or or you may be this kind of person because I have uh, often been this kind of person. You become easily distracted. Something's on your mind. Something else grabs your attention. And all of a sudden you've got 50 things that have been started but nowhere near completed. You ever been that person? I've been that person before. And so we have to learn dedication, not just in this physical world, but in our spiritual lives. We have to learn dedication. We have to put that first. I think Peter underscored the dedication to his readers that they had to have and to maintain what they were doing as faithful Christians. It's not enough to gain it, you have to keep it, right? If we want to do well financially in this world, it's not enough to uh, make some money. We have to be able to be able to keep some money, don't we? Put a little money back. Build that money into a business or or whatever the, the scenario may be. We have some uh, business owners here and they have to be able to operate their business. It's not enough to be able to uh, make enough money to pay the help today. We have to be able to pay ourselves. We have to be able to pay our vendors. We have to be able to pay our taxes. We have to be able to do a whole lot of things. And that's just the physical part, right? Financially. Well, what do we have to do spiritually? We have to be able to maintain. It's not enough just to gain salvation. We have to maintain salvation. And I think that's what Peter is talking about. Paul spoke of dedication, didn't he? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's dedication, isn't it? That's dedication. It's reasonable for God to ask us to be dedicated. We need to learn that about ourselves. Am I dedicated? Do I have the dedication that God wants me to have? And I think that we learn very quickly as we study the inspired writers, that none of us and no one who has ever lived is owed salvation. We're not worthy as far as God owing us something. We're worthy of salvation. 
because God has put forth a plan for us to be justified. But we, we're not owed that. We're not owed that at all. Romans 5, 8. The Christian is born through baptism for the remission of sins and he begins his or her life with dedication, right? Have you ever known someone who, uh, and I don't, you know, maybe this has happened. I don't know. It, it, it hasn't been my experience. You study the Bible with someone, they learn what to do to become a Christian, they obey the gospel, and when they come up out of the water, they dry off, and then they hit right back into the same lane they were in before they became a Christian. That's not normally how it happens. Now, that may happen a little later on, right? That may happen a little later on. But but once you're born again spiritually, you're dedicated, aren't you? You're dedicated. You want to be dedicated. You're happy. You're on fire. Well, if we could just keep that fire, right? That's what this dedication is about. And it's hard to keep a fire, isn't it? Have you ever been camping? You ever let your fire go out? It's cold at night, doesn't it? It's cold. A lot harder to start a fire than it is to maintain a fire. It's a lot harder to get the car pushing when you run out of gas than it is to maintain that momentum. You get some momentum, it's a lot easier to maintain it. Dedication. That's what Peter was talking about maintain your dedication of being a holy priesthood, a chosen generation. It's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. Maintain that reasonable service. Now here's what we have to keep in mind. The person who does fail after having obeyed the gospel, it's not God's fault. It's because they lacked dedication. Dedication is paramount if we're going to be pleasing to God. We see the dedication of which Paul spoke in his letter to Timothy. Notice what he said, 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 11. He said, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. What is that? Dedication. That's dedication. If we're not dedicated, we're not going to fight a good fight of faith. You know what one of the downfalls of the Roman Empire was? They had taken over almost the known world. And what they did, they decided they would go in, and if you wanted to kind of maintain things the way they were, we'll let you do that. You pay us taxes, you want to be... uh, uh, this uh, type of people, you're this race of people, you're this ethnicity of people, you want to maintain your roots in that, just pay us our taxes, and you can follow, follow, uh, or fall under our umbrella, and we'll be called the Roman Empire. Well, do you know what happens after a while when you have a thousand different uh, types of peoples throughout your Roman Empire, none of them are loyal to that Roman Empire because they're doing their own thing? And then the Roman Empire does something they don't particularly care for. And then here, in about 600 years, you don't have a Roman Empire anymore. right? There's no dedication there. There's no dedication. There's no loyalty. See, I think we could say loyalty instead of dedication. We have to be loyal to God. It isn't simply good enough to avoid sin. We have to be dedicated in our pursuit of righteousness. As we put first things first... And we learn some things about ourselves. 
We learn that we have to have dedication. But we also have to have separation. How are we going to be dedicated? We have to separate ourselves from everyone else. You see the uh, uh, the little old town over here, or the little nation that Rome conquers, they have to separate themselves from the rest of the world and dedicate themselves to Rome or it's not going to turn out good for Rome. Well, it didn't turn out good. What do Christians do? I need to learn. I have to have dedication, but then I have to separate myself from things that interfere with that dedication. You can't serve God and mammon, right? You can't serve the world. You can't serve God. You can't have one foot in sin and one foot in heaven. You do really, you've got both feet in sin, right? And so we have to have that separation. That means we're going to bring our way of thinking and our lifestyle into conformity with what God wants us to do. Instead of being like those who are not followers of God, we become like those who are followers of God. And we strive to be like God every single day. Are we going to be perfect? No, but we can't use that for a crutch. I've known people say, well, you're going to sin every day. Brethren, I just don't read that in the Bible. I've never read in the Bible where God said you're going to sin every single day. Now, you're going to sin on occasion. But if we're sinning every single day, isn't there something wrong? Something's wrong, right? We're not progressing. You've been a Christian for 60 years and you haven't progressed to where you can't have a day where you're, where you're focused on getting to heaven. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but that means we better be growing in our faith so that we can get to where we need to be. If we're going to put first things first, isn't it reasonable to address those things that prevent that from happening? You know, if if that's the case, and we have some things in our way, we need to address that. We need to get rid of them. We need to change those things. When we become separated from the world and we become dedicated to God, we'll be able to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, 1 Peter 3.15. We'll be able to always give an answer uh, to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope which is in you with meekness and fear. And you see, the apostle, he described that in chapter 2 of our passage. Separation, right? Now, when we separate ourselves, there's something else we need to understand. Our reasonable service throughout the Bible. Talk about reason, right? Let us reason together. God gave us minds so that we can be reasonable. Are we going to avoid everyone who is not a Christian? Paul said that wasn't even possible. That's not even possible. You'd have to get out of the world, he said, to be able to do that. 1 Corinthians 5. But we don't interact with them on their level of sin, right? Jesus didn't avoid sinners, did he? He he ate with them. He fellowshiped with them as far as friendship goes. He didn't fellowship them in their sin. He rebuked their sin and he shared a meal with them at the same time. See, if we're going to be able to interact with the world and fulfill the Great Commission, we have to be able to interact with people who are not Christians. We don't avoid people who are not Christians. We don't look down on people who are not Christians. We look down on the sin. We hate the sin. We avoid the sin. But the person can change. We love the person. And so we have to interact with that person, right? Separating ourselves from sin does not mean we separate ourselves from people. To put first things first, we have to learn about dedication. We have to learn about separation. And we better know about transformation.
Every person in the world falls into one of two categories. You are either a conformer or a transformer, right? And we either behave like the world or we behave differently from the world. One who has obeyed the gospel will grow and mature as a Christian or they will become stagnant. You know what happens when something stops growing? It dies, doesn't it? Clay puts out a garden every year and a big one. When it stops growing, what happens, Clay? It's time to till it up and get ready for next year, isn't it? Till it under and keep going. Now, if I'm growing a garden, that happens about halfway through the growing season. Just till it up, forget it, right? Or at least that's been my experience while I've been in Chattanooga. But if you're not growing, you're dying. What happens if you have a baby? We've got a we've got one brand new baby in the congregation, about to have another one. If that baby stops growing, what do you do? First of all, you're alarmed. You're alarmed, aren't you? You're scared. And you want to look out and find a physician to help. Why don't we do that with with babes in Christ? They stop growing. Do we become alarmed? A lot of times we don't become alarmed. Do we become scared? Eh, Maybe sometimes. Not always. Do we look for the physician to take care of that? I think we sometimes just let it go. And that person who is not growing will eventually die spiritually. And then it's over. Then what are we going to do? Are we going to stand before the king of kings and say, you know, I thought he or she would come back. Now, does that mean that after a while we just keep begging and pleading with someone who continually falls away and just shows no interest in, in, in growing? No. We knock the dust off our feet, we move on to better ground. Spoke with a friend of mine one time, and he was telling me about a scenario where a person was talking with someone and talking with someone and talking with someone, and they just wouldn't do it and wouldn't do it and wouldn't do it. And one day he said, uh, so-and-so, you're not going to talk to, me, talk to me about that anymore? He said, no, I'm going to let you die and go to hell because that's what you want to do. That changed that person. That changed that person. Right? You don't just beg and continually plead with someone who's not interested. You move on to better ground. You move on to better soil. If you have, uh, if, if your yard is on uh, a rock and it has two inches of soil, are you going to keep going out there every year and try to plant tomato plants? They're going to die. They might spring up for a little while, look good for a moment, right? But there's nowhere for the roots to go. See, that's the parable of the sower in one instance. We have to understand how to maintain our transformation. Paul spoke about that. We have to understand that. We have to renew our minds daily, Romans 12, verse 2. That's how we transform. If we pay no attention to our spiritual lives, we're not renewing our minds. We're not going to be a transformer. We're going to go back to be a conformer. We're going to conform to the world. You know, we need to be very careful about deluding ourselves. We need to be very careful about deluding ourselves into thinking right's wrong and wrong's right. Right? Now, I don't think Christians usually uh, dilute themselves into thinking that, that right is wrong. But a lot of times we, we overlook the wrong and say, well, that's okay. And I'm not talking about us in particular. I'm just talking about the world in general, right? Those who claim to be Christians. Isaiah addressed that when he warned this, Isaiah 5, verse 20. 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, that, that's raging in our nation right now, isn't it? That is raging in our nation right now. There is this push like I've never seen toward socialism in this nation. It's always been there a little bit. You always have, in my opinion, someone who's crazy in the political world who's trying to push that. And I can look around, listen, you know what they're eating in Venezuela? Well, they, after they ate their pets, they started eating the zoo animals. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in that, right? Uh, they're driving 57 Chevys in Cuba. Not because it's cool. Not because that they'd like to have one. I'd like to have one. They're driving them because that's all they've got, right? Ron has uh, some old cars because he wants them, <laughs> not because he has to drive them, right? You don't see uh, uh, Mary driving around in a 32 Roadster, right? I'd like to have one. She doesn't understand, but uh, Ron and I do. But see, I'm not interested in that. There's this push toward uh, making homosexuality just normal, just normal. You know, and here's the thing, and this is what we've always said, we, we're, we're opposed to that, right? We're opposed to that as Christians. We're going to teach against it. But if our neighbor down the road, if that's what they want their lifestyle to be, that's their business. I'm not going to go into their home, and I'm not going to start raising cane. I'm not going to burn their house down. If they want to talk about it, I would love to talk to them about it in love and, and try to teach them what's right. But, but we're not going to be militant like they are and try to harm them. That's their business, Right? If someone wants to participate in sin, that's their business. We're going to teach against it. We're not going to do it, but we're not going to fellowship it. We're going to rebuke it. We're not going to have uh, fellowship with the uh, evil works of darkness. We're going to rebuke them, but we're not going to go in their homes and we're not going to oppress them. We're going to, uh, you know, that's all about tolerance. We're going to do what we want to do, and if they're not interested, that's their business. God will judge that, right? But we need to be transformed. If we're going to keep first things first, we need to learn some things about ourselves. That's the first thing, right? The second thing is we need to labor to put those things into practice. Relax, I only have two points. Before we're able to properly do anything, we must first evaluate the situation. You go onto a job site. Uh, Brother Carl goes onto a job site. Brother Greg goes onto a job site. Something needs to be built. Well, do you just go in and start building gas stations? What if they need a doctor's office built? Right? Gas stations not going to help them a whole lot. You need to evaluate what the situation is. What do I need to do? Do I need to move some dirt around? Do I need to fix the grade? Does it need to drain a certain way or is it perfect? I don't know. Uh, I'm not a, a contractor or a builder, but I would say very seldom do you show up and the land lays perfectly for what you're trying to build. You're probably going to have to do a little something to it. You have to do a little something to it, right? And so we need to evaluate. When we consider putting first things first, I need to evaluate where I want to be in relation to God. Where do I want to be? What are the necessary qualities for faithfulness? And really, that's what we mean when we say putting first things first, right? Uh, it's the proper attitude and self-awareness. Uh, at my house, I have a lot of people in the medical field. They talk about uh, your body awareness. Is something you know you got to know what's going on in your body. And they tell me I'm terrible at that. I don't know. I, you know, I'm working. I may cut myself. I don't even realize it. I go out and get into the 
uh, the, the honeybee boxes and I might get stung and not even realize it till I look down and I see the stinger in my, particularly on my hands. I may not see it. Now, if they get up my shirt like they did yesterday, trust me, I'm going to know it. But, you know, I, I don't, I guess I don't pay attention. I'm focused on something else. Uh, Effie was over a couple years ago and I was putting in a, uh, batch of bees and she said, you got stung on the thumb and there was a, there was a stinger in my thumb. I didn't even know it. Okay. So, but we need to be self-aware. We need to evaluate where we are. Self-awareness. What's my attitude? Am I where I need to be? Am I trying to get where I want to go? Paul demanded this, 2 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 5. He said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Who knows whether you're in the faith or not? There's only two people in the world who truly know whether or not you're in the faith. That's you and God. Am I in the faith? Well, I know if I'm in the faith. God knows if I'm in the faith. You don't know. I may appear to be in the faith, but we can't read each other's minds. That's what the gospel's for, Hebrews 4 verse 12, right? God is a discerner of the intents and the thoughts of the heart. He understands what's going on. So we are to examine ourselves, know whether you're in the faith, how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. So, at that same time, we can determine if someone is a reprobate because if they are continually living in the faith, well then that's evidence that they're faithful. But if we don't know someone that well, we don't spend a whole lot of time with them outside of services, you know, anything could happen. Anything could happen. I've told, uh, mentioned this example before, a close friend of mine. Deacon in the Lord's church decided he needed a girlfriend. His wife told me, said, I think he's got a girlfriend. I said, no way. I'll never believe that. I'll never believe that. Guess what? I was wrong. I was wrong. And it was heart crushing that that happened. He needed to examine himself. He knew he wasn't in the faith. God knew he wasn't in the faith. I didn't know it. I'd known him for a long time. Years. Spent time with him. That's heartbreaking. You see, Paul was having a little problem over in Corinth. He had these false apostles coming in, sowing discord, and people began to question Paul. And what Paul's talking about here is examine yourself. He said, don't examine me. Don't examine me. Examine yourself. If you'll examine yourself, you'll find out where you are in relation to God. You'll understand what I've been teaching you. You won't question me. You won't question me because you know I'm living that. So we have to examine ourselves. How can I know if I'm in Christ or not? Was my conversion the same as I read in the, in the New Testament? There is no sinner's prayer in the New Testament. It does not exist. It is not there. Was I saved because I obeyed the gospel? Faith and repentance? Confession that Jesus Christ died, rose again, sitting and ruling over His kingdom right now? Immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins and faithful living. Is that what I did? Okay, that's the first thing, right? But that's not the only thing. How's my worship? Do I worship in the ways that, that God has prescribed in the Bible? We can find it all through Acts. Singing, praying, preaching, giving, taking the Lord's Supper. You know, most of the denominations of the world won't take the Lord's Supper every, every Sunday. They think it makes it common They'll collect money every Sunday. They'll collect money. They don't worry about that money becoming common, right? We need to do both. 
We need the money, brethren. Hey, we need the money. The preacher needs a raise. No, I'm just kidding. But we need to we need to collect the money for the works of the church. And we need to take the Lord's Supper and honor Christ every single first day of the week. It's His day. It's His day, isn't it? We're to honor Him. So we need to, to check that. Am I worshiping? Am I, am I attending properly? Am I attending properly? Do I just show up when I want to? Am I coming to Bible classes that the leadership has set aside to, to come to? We are to submit to those who have the rule over us. And if those who have the rule over us, which is the leadership, which is the eldership, or the men of the congregation, if you don't have an eldership, and they say, look, we're going to meet at 9.30 for Bible class. Brethren, you better be here at 9.30 for Bible class, unless you're sick and can't make it. If you're sick and can't make it, God understands, but you've examined yourself and He knows. Right? What about Wednesday night? Is that what the leadership said? Are we to submit to those who have the rule over us? Is that an expediency? Yes. Does that fall in their realm? Absolutely. So unless I'm sick and I can't make it, something terrible happens, God understands all those things, right? He understands all of that. Is my giving to the church what it ought to be? Do I give Him the leftovers? See, God wants the first fruits. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, and we learn how we're to give to God. What Abel do? He went to the flock. He got the best he had. He didn't keep it for himself. He got the best he had. He gave that to God. That was one of the problems with Israel, wasn't it? They were dragging up old blind, half-dead animals. They wouldn't do them any good, so they said, we'll give them to God. We're just going to kill them anyway. See, that's not what God expects. He wants the first fruits. Before we can labor and put into use what we learn, we have to evaluate. Then we have to cooperate. We have to cooperate. We need to help one another, right? We need to help each other put first things first in a lot of ways, right? In a lot of ways. We need to help each other bear burdens. We need to be able to to help each other in the work. You know how the first church of Christ was described? Together and had all things in common, Acts 2.44. That's not some kind of socialistic, communistic kind of thing. That's because they loved each other and they wanted to help, right? They didn't have to do anything, Acts chapter 5. Christians make up the one body. And we have to have a voluntary cooperation. Each of us do different things, don't we? Just like the physical body has different things. You have a right hand, you have a left hand. Can you do things better with your right hand than you can your left hand? Well, if you're right-handed, you normally can. If you're left-handed, you can do it better with your left hand. My dad was left-handed. He could do things better with his left hand. You remember the old Atari games? He used to be so mad. We got one used somewhere, and you know that's set up for a right-handed person. Man, he would be so angry. I would be beating him and he just couldn't get it right because he was he was left-handed. You know, so certain things work better for certain people, right? We're able to do certain things that maybe someone else can't do. You know, leading singing, leading public prayer. Not everybody can do those things. Serving in some kind of a way, you know. Uh, when we help those who are in need here, Usually the men don't get together and cook a meal. We're not that great at it, right? We, we allow our wives to do that because they are great at it. And we want to give someone a meal that they can enjoy, not something that makes them sick and they want to throw it out, right? But we are to, to help each other in the work. And we're to help each other in other ways as we have opportunity, right? That's what God expects. 
Now, when we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, particularly, he's talking about spiritual gifts, but I think we make application today with our abilities in the things that, that we can do. Before we can, can labor, we have to evaluate, we have to cooperate, and finally, we have to participate. We, brethren, we've got to participate. We can't just come in and punch a time card. And I'm not saying that's what we're doing here. I'm saying this is a lesson we all need to be reminded of, right? Because it does happen in different places. We can't just come in and, and punch the time card. Say, okay, I made it for worship service. And I'm going to go home and, and I'm going to just go back to business as usual and do what I want to do. See, we're not evaluating ourselves. We're not self-aware of what's going on. We're just letting that thing happen, right? Notice what Paul told those in Galatia. Galatians 5, beginning verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's participation. We are participating in the activities of the Spirit, and He laid those out. The activities of the Spirit are not sinful in nature. You know, we're going to face problems in this life as we walk along, and we're going to face some things that that we cannot face alone. We're going to need help. We're going to need our brethren, those who are faithful. Paul encouraged us as a group when he said this, Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We are. Who's the we? The church. The church. Does that mean an individual in a part of the world where there are no other members of the church? And that there, that happens. Can't get to heaven. No. He is still part of the we. He just doesn't have someone in close proximity. Right? But He will. He will when He sits at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven meaning when we get to heaven and we fellowship one another. You know, that's one of the things that keeps us going, isn't it? That's one of the things that keeps us going. That's why we want to behave ourselves properly in the house of God, 1 Timothy 3.15. We want to be able to reunite in fellowship with those who've gone on before us. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Family, friends, people we miss and love. Isn't that going to be wonderful to get to see them again? You know, we have to perform these services. John added this, 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's participation. We have to participate. You know, we participate in love by hating evil and putting first things first. For that to happen, we have to, have to first be a Christian, right? We've talked about how to do that. Sometimes we, we, we lose focus, we get off track, we fall away. Now look, those who fall away are lost. We have to understand that, right? We can't delude ourselves into thinking, well, I've got all the time in the world. Look, if, if you fall away, you're not walking in the light, you are lost. If I do that, I'm lost, right? I need to have a sense of urgency to get back into the light. Second law of pardon. Repenting of that sin, confessing that sin publicly if necessary, in prayer to God to forgive us. Above all things, if we put first things first, placing God in His correct space, we can be pleasing to Him. Hayden Robinson, he pointed out that one old recipe for rabbits started out with this injunction. Now listen, this is very important. 
first catch the rabbit. Recipe doesn't do you any good unless you first catch the rabbit, right? First catch the rabbit, says Robinson. The writer knew how to put first things first. That's what we do when we establish priorities. We put things that should be in the first place in their proper order. I think that's some wise uh, advice right there. Putting first things first. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, do that today. If you've done it, you've become unfaithful. Put first things first. Get your priorities in order. Come forward. If you need to, publicly. If not, privately. Ask God to forgive you, and He will. But if you need to answer, do that as we stand and as we sing.